Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Pride going before destruction. Hello, Truth Transistors. Welcome to uh, episode number 20. And today it will be Apostasy Part 8, Jehovah's Witnesses. And like always, I know that there are many good, sincere people that are Jehovah's Witnesses, maybe even true believers. I'm not attacking individuals. Uh, I'm attacking the theology and the movement and how it got started. Um, and that's how what we'll be talking about. I don't think it would be loving of me if I believed that something was dangerous and didn't tell people. So you don't have to agree, but I, I, I encourage you to look into it and study God's word. And just know that I'm doing this out of love and not um, out of hate for anybody. Um, if somebody saw that I was involved in a movement that they knew was dangerous or they strongly believed was dangerous they should tell me about it and people have before and sometimes I don't see it other times I do but I I don't get offended by that I look into it myself and if you look into it yourself and you don't come to the same conclusion then that's really between you and God and and uh, you know that's that's all so um, I'm just kind of going through what, um, based on what I have researched and believe, and uh, and and why, and I'm giving reasons. Now it's been a, a bit since my last podcast, my last episode, um, like I think over a month now. But you know, I've been really busy with work. Uh, I started my own business about two years ago, three years ago. And it's really been growing, which is good. But sometimes it's that odd spot where you're kind of doing it yourself and and it gets big, to, you know, <laughs> you max out your time. So um, I've been looking for the last month to find somebody to hire. And I finally found somebody that's interested and um, somebody I know. And so in the next couple of weeks, I should have him trained and ready to go. So um, that's, a, that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, being busy at the moment, you don't necessarily feel like it's a good thing. So um, if I think I mentioned this in one of the early episodes that, I'm a, that I own a pool cleaning business. So... Uh, if you, I think I also mentioned in a previous episode that there was a freeze, big freeze in, in Texas that, um, damaged a lot of things. Um, there was a lot of pool stuff that got frozen and cracked. And unfortunately there's like a huge back order of things and it's taken a long time to get things up and running and and going again and most of them most of my customers are up and running now but there's still a few that are uh, <clears throat> waiting on some things so 
hopefully, slowly but surely, and hopefully before the summer gets going, everybody's pool is up and running. I wanted to bring up something uh, real quick uh, that at my church home group last Wednesday night we talked about. And let me just give you a little background on my, my church over when the pandemic started. Uh, Texas was only shut down for about two months, I think. <clears throat> and then things opened back up like in May or June of last year. And when they first, when our church first opened up, they had discussions on masks, you know, in the elders meetings and stuff. And they decided it would be a good idea to have a sign up that said, we recommend everyone wear a mask. But it was difficult to say required because there were several people in the church that refused uh, to ever wear a mask. And then there was a lot of people that were offended by that and didn't come. Although we had Zoom throughout, you know, the time that everything was shut down. Uh, and we continued to Zoom. Uh, even now, uh, we're not Zoom, I'm sorry, it's Facebook Live. But anyway, um, <clears throat> you know, online. So um, there's actually been some people that have left our church because of the, this and other things. Like um, Black Lives Matter was another thing that there was some division on. And I just feel like we're in a sensitive time right now, you know, like we're in a period of time in which uh, you look at somebody wrong and they think that you hate them. <laughs> and, you know, it's just very difficult. Um, <clears throat> well, anyway, the, the, uh, our home group um, has been more strict for you know pro mask not myself just the home group so you know i'm not speaking for myself it just happens to be the home group i go to and it's mostly been online but then we had um we met outside in somebody's backyard for a while and then um recently i guess when it got cold we started meeting in the building at church and let me say also that Texas took the mask mandate down about a month ago, I think. And um, our church, which, you know, when it first opened back up back in May or June uh, for people to come, the vast majority of people were wearing masks. <clears throat> and there was a few people that refused. And so slowly, you know, gradually, it's gotten to where the majority of people don't wear masks but we have a meeting upstairs that's on facebook live <clears throat> that they encourage people so that people could come and have fellowship that felt uncomfortable could come and meet in a different room with masks on so that's kind of how we did it and um so anyway it got to where, you know, downstairs hardly anybody wears a mask anymore. So once it got to where, like, you know, a good number of people were not wearing a mask, I felt comfortable not wearing one. Because scientifically, I'm not necessarily, I don't think they do anything. I'm, you know, I'm kind of on that side. But at the same time, well, that brings me to what the conversation was about. So <clears throat> the leader of it, 
wanted us to give our opinions and, you know, to share and love and, and talk about this, you know. Um, so leading the last few weeks um, where we mostly wore masks, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, about a third of the people were not wearing one in our home group. So this week, or this past week, I came in and I didn't wear one. And as soon as I got in, the leader said, um, we'd ask you to put on a mask. And uh, his wife happened to be there, which uh, she's uh, got some health issues and she's a high-risk person. And she hasn't been there in person the whole time. So they wanted everyone to wear one. So I wore one. You know, I didn't say anything. I didn't argue. Nothing like that. Well, anyway, when it came around to my, um, there was, you know, it was really a peaceful meeting, believe it or not. <laughs> and when it came to me, I just said that number one, first and foremost for me is unity. And I kind of look at it like eating meat sacrificed to idols, where Paul said <clears throat> he doesn't find it morally wrong, but to, you know, for his brother that is offended by it, uh, to, you know, for the, for somebody that the weaker brother, he calls it, um, not to be an offense um, and to give up that which he believes he has the right to do you know and so for me um, you know I know there's a lot of people that are strongly against it and you know even they ignore if there's a sign up or anything like that but for me if I'm around people that are feel very uncomfortable and, and ask me to put a mask on, then I put a mask on. You know, if I go to a store and there's a mask sign on, I put it on. Even though I'm, I think it's about control and I don't think it really helps anything. Um, that's just my opinion and there's de debate amongst science, you know, qualified people on this. So it's not, but the thing that's being allowed to be said in the mainstream media is only one side. So anyway, um, I um, I just wanted to share that. Um, I know that there's, you know, like I said, there's a lot of division going on right now. And, you know, I believe this is a sign of the last days because Jesus said, the hearts of many will grow cold, brother will turn against brother, and, you know, things like that. So I don't want to contribute to division, you know. Um, I think it was good because I also said not first and foremost was unity but then I said now scientifically I, I may disagree with you know what you know y'all believe on this but I think number one I want to be in unity so I'm not going to you know um, <clears throat> fight <laughs> against against it and I also feel like it's important for me not to you know there was times I had thoughts should I switch home groups you know but I think that I don't want it to be like that. You know, I don't want it to be about division and and kind of a thing. So I believe that I should stick where I am. And um, anyway, I just wanted to share that. And I, I, maybe it's something y'all could think about um, as, you know, we go through these hard times in, in the world today. So now we're going to get into a bit of discussion on Jehovah's Witnesses. But first, 
Here is a funny bit, a recording um, with me and my brother back when I was about 20 and he was about 12. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Now today we have a special <laughs> guest. He is going to teach us all about the wildlife on the frontiers. Okay, class. I'm Mr. X. Uh, today I'm going to teach you all about the woods and the forest. But sir, I thought you said you were going to teach them about the wildlife and the frontiers. You no. can't. The front. You can't teach us about wildlife because we haven't studied Please wildlife. Please raise your hand before speaking. <laughs> Why didn't you raise your hand? Oh, shut up. Anyway, I'm done. You. Well, good. Now get out and never come back again. Oh, aren't you gonna say goodbye and thank you? I just did. I said get out and don't come back again. <laughs> That's my way of saying goodbye and thank you. Now get out of here. <laughs> what are you laughing about? I'm not laughing about anything. I wasn't even laughing. Hey. That was my inside spirit. <laughs> Good, you got an A for the course. Now, you may all go eat lunch. But the guy is sawing my lunch in half. Why? Because he doesn't like me. Oh, shut up. Now go eat lunch. Mmm. Mmm, this roast beef sandwich is good. Mmm. Henry, I mean, whatever your name is. My name is Henry. <laughs> now. Okay, school's out. Everybody go home. Now. <laughs> I don't want to see you ever again for the rest of my life. What's up? You have to see me after school, remember? Uh, because because I saw the kids take because I saw because <laughs> I saw the kids. Remember? You told me to see you after school. Oh, never mind. Just shut up now. But sir, I can't leave because school's not out. That was just the bell. That um, lunch was out, and lunch isn't the last thing of school. We're getting out early today, so I'll just go home. Finally, peace and quiet. No noise. Just can sit back and drink coffee. Hey, sir! Once again, that wonderful bit was probably done around 1997, I want to say, 98, somewhere in there. And that was brought to you by nobody, because I don't have any sponsors. All right, so I would like to start reading from the Kingdom of the Colts Handbook by Walter Martin. And I really recommend this book for those of you who are you know, looking for truth and, and discernment um, on things. I, I, I really enjoy his stuff. And he does a chapter on Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, chapter 4. And I probably won't get to all of it, but 
uh, I'll just go ahead and start here. Quick facts on Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus is not Jehovah God. He is the first and only direct creation of God and the agent through which Jehovah made all other things. Jesus' true followers are known by their worship of the true and almighty God, Jehovah, who is not a trinity. Jesus was raised from the dead, not with a physical body, but as a mighty spirit creature. The second coming, quote-unquote, of Jesus was an invisible spiritual presence that began in 1914. The dead exist only in God's memory. The wicked will not be punished with the conscience, or sorry, conscious torment, but will be extinguished forever. <clears throat> Historical perspective. Charles Taze Russell was the founder of what is known as the Jehovah's Witnesses cult and the energetic administrator that brought about its far-flung organization. The name Jehovah's Witnesses was taken at Columbus, Ohio in 1931 to differentiate between the Watchtower organization run by Judge Rutherford, Russell's successor, and those who remained as true followers of Russell as rep represented by the Don Bible Students and the Layman's Home Missionary Movement. <coughs> Russell <coughs> apparently controlled the entire financial power of the society and was not accountable to anyone. Um, just a quick insert here, I think that's always dangerous. I believe that's was kind of the downfall of Ravi Zacharias as well. When you don't have, when you have a lot of money and you don't have any accountability, that could lead to problems. <clears throat> he was proven to be a perjurer under oath, a sworn adversary of historical Christianity and a scholastic fraud. C. T. Russell was born on February 16, 1852, the son of Joseph L. Russell and Anna Eliza Russell and spent most of his early years in Pittsburgh and Allegheny, Pennsylvania, where at the age of 25 he was known to be manager of several men's furnishings stores. At an early age he rejected the doctrine of eternal torment, probably because of the severe indoctrination he had received as a Congregationalist. <clears throat> and as a result of this act, entered upon a long and varied career of denunciation aimed at organized religions. In 1870, at the age of 18, Russell organized a Bible class in Pittsburgh, which in 1876 elected him pastor of the group. From 1876 to 1878, the quote-unquote pastor was assistant editor of a small Rochester, New York, monthly magazine. I used to live in Rochester. Uh, <clears throat> but he resigned when a controversy arose over Russell's counter uh, counter arguments on the atonement of Christ. Shortly after leaving his position, Russell founded the Herald of the Morning, which was in 1879, uh, which developed into two into today's The Watchtower, announcing Jehovah's Kingdom. 
From 6,000 initial issues, the publication has grown to 69, over 69 million, almost 70 million. Now that's at the writing of this book. So I don't know where it is now, but <clears throat> uh, bi-monthly copies, six annually, in 334 languages. The other Watchtower periodical, Awake, has a bi-monthly circulation of 64.9 million per month in 184 languages. The Watchtower Bible and Tract Society claims to have 120,000 congregation congregations throughout the world in 240 different lands. They boast that they have published 220 million New World Translation Bibles and 40 billion pieces of literature in 900 languages from their inception through 2017. Its literature is distributed by the individual Jehovah's Witness called a publisher who is often seen on the street or going door to door. Some 8.4 million volunteers participate. Missionary activity is carried on by pioneers or pioneer publishers of whom there are 1.2 million workers. The society has become a great dis, dissem, disseminator of propaganda and a challenge to, to the zeal of every Christian. Russell continued his teachings until his death on October 31st, 1916, aboard a transcontinental train in Texas. The former pastor had a remarkable life, highly colored with legal entanglements, but not without success in his chosen field. Russell, uh, Russell's uh, um, obituary reads in part, quote, A year after this publication, the Watchtower had been established. Russell married Maria Ackley in Pittsburgh. She had become interested in him through his teachings, and she helped him in running the Watchtower. Two years later, in 1881, came the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, the agency through which, in later years, Pastor Russell's sermons were published as advertisements in newspapers throughout the world. This society progressed amazingly under the joint administration of husband and wife, but in 1897, Mrs. Russell left her husband. Six years later, in 1903, she sued for separation. The decree was secured in 1906 following sensational testimony, and Pastor Russell was scored by the courts. There was much litigation that was quite undesirable from the pastor's point of view regarding alimony from his wife, but it was settled in 1909 by the payment of six thousand something dollars to Mrs. Russell. <clears throat> That's like probably a hundred thousand today, I don't know. <laughs> the litigation revealed that Pastor Russell's activities in the religious field were carried on through several subsidiary societies and that all of the wealth that flowed into him through these societies was under the control 
of a holding company in which the pastor held $990 of the 1000 capital and two of his followers, the other $10." Unquote. <clears throat> Russell apparently controlled the entire financial power of the society and was not accountable to anyone. The Brooklyn Daily Eagle led the, led the fight to expose the hypocrisy of Pastor Russell and nothing could be more appropriate than their on-the-spot testimony as to his many fraudulent claims. Russell carried on many such advertising stunts, and despite the protest protestations about earthly governments and laws being organizations of the devil, he was always the first to claim their protection when it was convenient for him to do so. I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. Um, it says, Historically, Jehovah's Witnesses have quoted Pastor Russell numerous times since his death in 1916. The following is a token sample of what we can produce as concrete evidence. In 1923, seven years after the pastor's demise, Judge J.F. Rutherford, heir of the Russellite throne, wrote a booklet some 50-odd pages in length entitled, World Distress, Why and the Remedy. In this informative treatise, the new president of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society and the International Bible Students quoted Pastor Russell no fewer than 16 separate times, referred to his book's Studies in the Scripture in at least 12 times, and devoted six pages at the end of the booklet to advertising these same volumes further than this or further than this in a 57 page pamphlet published in 1925 entitled comfort for the people by the same rutherford his honor and true russellite character defines clergymen as dumb dogs uh, proceeds to quote pastor russell's prophetical chronology A.D. 1914, and then sums up his tirade against Christendom Universal by recommending Russell's writing in four pages of advertisements at the back of the book. Jehovah's Witnesses and the Divine Purpose was published still later and gave high praise to Russell as well. The Society's debt to Russell as founder and to teachings as foundational is still acknowledged in Watchtower Publications such as their 1979 publication, Jehovah's Witnesses in their 20th Century. In the Internet age, they devote a small portion of their website to Russell as the one who began the modern-day Watchtower Bible Track uh, Society and Track Society. Sorry, uh, They credit Jesus as the founder of Christianity, and then they draw the line from Christ to Russell. So now we'll get into some of the theological evaluation. The doctrines of Jehovah's Witnesses. Number one, there is one solitary being from all eternity, Jehovah God, the creator and preserver of the universe and of all things visible and invisible. Number two, the word or logos is a God, a mighty God, the beginning of the creation of Jehovah and his active agent, in the creation of all things. The Logos was made human as the man Jesus and suffered death 
to produce the ransom or redemptive price for obedient men. Now, in their in uh, translation of Scripture, if you read John chapter one, this is something I'm familiar with. I haven't read the rest of. Uh, I think it's the New Living Translation. But it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. The only difference between that translation and a fundamental Christian translation is the word a. You know, because it implies that there's more than one God. <laughs> so, anyway, the uh, I just wanted to mention that. Number three, the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God as it was originally given and has preserved by him as the revealer of his purposes. And of course they have their own translation, which as I just mentioned, uh, changes a few things. Number four, Satan was a great angel who rebelled against Jehovah and challenged his sovereignty. Through Satan, sin and death came upon man. His destiny is annihilation with all his followers. Number five, <clears throat> man was created in the image of Jehovah by, uh, but, sorry, man was created in the image of Jehovah but willfully sinned. Hence, all men are born sinners and are of the earth. Those who follow Jesus Christ faithful to the death will inherit the heavenly kingdom with him. Men of good will who accept Jehovah and his theo, theo, theocratic rule will enjoy the new earth. All others who reject Jehovah will be annihilated. The atonement is a ransom paid to Jehovah by Christ Jesus and is applicable to all who accept it in righteousness. In belief, the death of Jesus removed the effects of Adam's sin on his offspring and laid the foundation of the new world of righteousness, including the millennium of Christ's reign. Number seven, the man Christ Jesus was resurrected, a divine spirit creature after offering the ransom for obedience. Number eight, the soul of man is not eternal but mortal, and it can die. Animals likewise have souls, though man has the preeminence by special creation. Number nine, hell, meaning a place of fiery torment where sinners remain after death until the resurrection does not exist. This is a doctrine of organized religion, not the Bible. Hell is the common grave of a man of mankind, literally Sheol, Hebrew, a place of rest in hope where the departed sleep until the resurrection by Jehovah God. Eternal punishment is a punishment or penalty of which there is no end. It does not mean eternal torment or living souls. Annihilation, the second death, is the lot of all those who reject Jehovah God, and it is eternal. Now, I want to insert here that I actually agree with uh, this, except I do believe that there's a lake of fire where there's torment and before they are annihilated. But um, what I just stated is probably different than most fundamental Christians. But there's other issues uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses that I completely disagree with, most of these other things. Number 11, Jesus Christ has returned to earth A.D. 1914 
Huh. I didn't know that. Has Well, I'm being sarcastic. Has expelled Satan from heaven and is proceeding to overthrow Satan's organization, establish the theocratic millennium, millennial kingdom, and vindicate the name of Jehovah God. He did not return in a physical form and is invisible as the Logos. The Twelve, the kingdom of Jehovah is supreme and as such cannot be compatible with present human government or devil's visible organization and any allegiance to them in any way which violates the allegiance owed to him is a violation of the scripture. On the Holy Trinity, one, the obvious conclusion is, therefore, that Satan is the originator of the Trinity doctrine. Two, sincere persons who want to know the true God and serve him find it a bit difficult to love and worship a complicated, freakish-looking, three-headed God. Number three, any trying to reason out the Trinity teaching leads to confusion of mind. So the Trinity teaching confuses the meaning of John 1, 1 through 2. It does not simplify it or make it clear or easily understandable. Um, the deity of Christ. The true scriptures speak of God's Son, the Word, uh, as a God. He is a mighty God, but not the Almighty God, who is Jehovah. Number two. In other words, he was the first and direct creation of Jehovah God. Number three, the Bible shows that there is only one God, greater than his Son, and that the Son and the firstborn only begotten, and the creation by God had a beginning, that the Father is greater and older than the Son is reasonable, easy to understand, and is what the Bible teaches. Um, all of these have, um, you know, uh, references, so if you get the book, you can find where these are from. Number four, as chief of the angels and the next to the Father, he, Christ, was known as the archangel, highest angel or messenger, whose name Michael signifies who is God or God's representative. Being the only begotten Son of God, the Word would be a prince among all the other creatures. In this office he, Christ, bore another name in heaven, which name is Michael. Other names were given to the Son in course of time. T-T-S-M-Y-F. I'm not sure what that stands for. Um, but anyway. Oh, the truth. The truth shall make you free. Uh, is the what, what that's from. Um, there's a lot more in here. Um, and I won't get into all of it. Um, but yeah, so you kind of get a little bit of an idea of what they're all about. There's a lot more to it. Um, but this is just like all my episodes is touching on these things. And I'll, you know, I'll get some uh, more. There's actually a documentary that we're going to listen to here in a bit on Jehovah's Witnesses. Some documentary audio, audio I should say. But first, uh, I'm going to play a song by somebody that was kind enough to let me uh, 
play his songs and it's called Destiny Lab is the name of the group and he is a truther rap artist and I really like uh, the lyrics in his, in his stuff uh, this is a song called Unseen Zones Once again, that is Destiny Lab. If you enjoy that, please check it out. He's on iTunes, and there's also another link I'll leave in the description below. Now, we are going to listen to some clips from a documentary called, uh, the YouTube channel is called JW Facts. And what I like to do in all of these is connect it to, um, I found that a lot of these cults are um, have its roots in the mystery religions 
And if you go back to previous episodes in here about, you know, the Bill Cooper stuff, uh, that kind of explains what the mystery schools are and what they believe and how oftentimes they are the ones that start these cults. Many of the beliefs and symbols included in Watchtower publications during the leadership of Russell are what Jehovah's Witnesses now claim to be of pagan and even a cult background. If you enjoyed The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown and are interested in the development of modern religion, you will be intrigued by this section. A number of the symbols and teachings discussed by Brown as having origins with the Knights Templar, Freemasons and Illuminati, and tracing back to the Egyptians, have been used by Mormons, Christian Science and Russell's Watchtower Bible students. The term Watchtower, Golden Age, Jehovah, New World Order, All-Seeing Eye, Winged Sun Disk, Two Columns, Pyramids and Russell's strong Zionist stance are part of Freemasonry. A great deal of discussion has centred on whether Russell, the founder of the Watchtower Society, had connections with Freemasons due to the many Masonic symbols introduced under his leadership. The evidence is not conclusive that Russell adopted these beliefs from Freemasons and it is probable that he took these beliefs and symbols from Second Adventists. It raises the question that if this is truly the only religion directed by Jehovah, why God allowed, or even directed, symbols of this kind to identify his people even well after the claim cleansing of his spiritual temple in 1919? Watchtower The term Watchtower and Watchtower Society which identify the organisation behind Jehovah's Witnesses and their magazine, are a namesake from the Adventist movement. The Proclaimer's book admits this on page 48, saying, The expression Watchtower is not unique to Russell's writings or to Jehovah's Witnesses. George Storrs published a book in the 1850s called The Watchtower or Man in Death and the Hope for a Future Life. The name was also incorporated in the title of various religious periodicals. Pyramid Russell had great interest in the Pyramid of Giza and its relationship with Bible prophecy. Watchtower continued to use the Pyramid of Giza as part of prophecy until the 1930s. Russell's belief in the sign of the Pyramid most likely came from the Second Adventists. In 1859, John Taylor published The Great Pyramid, Why Was It Built and Who Built It? He put forward the idea that the architect and supervisor of the Great Pyramid was not an Egyptian, but Noah. Other pyramidologists believe it was Melchizedek. In 1877, Joseph Seiss also published a book on the pyramid entitled Miracle in Stone. George Storrs then ran a series of articles on the pyramid and its prophetic significance in the Herald of Life and the Coming Kingdom. In June 1876, Piazzi Smythe, an astronomer, published an article in the Bible Examiner, a journal owned by George Storrs in Brooklyn. Russell attributed his knowledge on pyramids to Smythe. In thy kingdom come, here, Thanks to the very accurate measurements of all the passages furnished by Professor Smythe, we are enabled to reach what to us are by far the most interesting features of the testimony of this witness yet delivered.
Thy Kingdom Come states, Professor Smythe found the first of these measures to be 1874 pyramid inches, the second 1881 pyramid inches, and the third 1910 pyramid inches. Thus reduced, they would give the dates October 1874, October 1881, and October 1910 AD. These three dates were important in early Watchtower prophetic doctrine. Pyramids are a major aspect of Freemason teaching and many pagan religions. They were generally used as temples and played an important part in the belief of the afterlife. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica DVD 2002, pyramids have been built at various times in Egypt, the Sudan, Ethiopia, Western Asia, Greece, Cyprus, Italy, India, Thailand, Mexico, South America, and on some islands of the Pacific Ocean. Those of Egypt and of Central and South America are the best known. Russell's interest is particularly in the Great Pyramid of Giza built for Cheops. It is the northernmost of a group of three pyramids built in Giza and is the late largest and oldest of the three, estimated by archaeologists to have been built over 4,000 years ago. It is considered the most colossal single building ever erected. Its base points are accurately oriented to the four cardinal points of the compass. Russell's belief in the measure of the pyramids was based on passages from Isaiah 19 and Jeremiah 32. The Bible Students Monthly, Volume 5, Number 11, states, In that day there shall be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt, for a sign and for a witness. Not only did God mention prophetically the Great Pyramid in Isaiah, but also in Jeremiah 32.20, where we read that, He set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day. Russell believed that the sign of Egypt was related to the dimension of the Pyramid of Giza. In the early 1900s, he went to Egypt to measure the pyramid and claimed that the passage of the Great Pyramid of Giza was 2,170 inches and that it was built in 2,170 BCE. The significance of this teaching is highlighted by having over 60 pages devoted to it in Thy Kingdom Come. In a monumental display of deceit, when Russell revised his doctrine to focus more on 1914 than 1874, he updated his pyramid measurements in later editions of Thy Kingdom Come to suit his new interpretation. Russell originally used the size of a pyramid to prove that 1874 marked the beginning of the period of trouble, as shown in the 1891 edition of Thy Kingdom Come. In the 1911 edition of Thy Kingdom Come, Russell changed the pyramid measurements by 41 inches to show that 1914 would be the beginning of trouble. Whilst the 1891 edition says we find it to be 3,416 inches, and hence the pyramid witnessed that the close of 1874 was the chronological beginning of the time of trouble, the 1911 edition said we find it to be 3,457 inches, and thus the pyramid witnesses that the close of 1914 will be the beginning of the time of trouble. Charles Taze Russell is buried in a family-owned grave at the Rosemont United Cemetery 
in Pennsylvania. Next to his grave is a pyramid erected as a memorial. Weighing several tons, it is complete with symbols of the Knights Templar, all-seeing eye, and the inscription Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. This cemetery contains the remains of known masons and it is claimed that Russell was embalmed at death. The Masonic temple built after Russell's death overlooks his grave. The souvenir report of the Bible Students Convention in 1919 discusses the funeral of Russell saying, at the grave on Monday, a party of about 150 was conducted by Brother Bonnet to the grave of Brother Russell. It then mentions, In the exact centre of the Bethel lot will be erected diagonally the pyramid-shaped monument as designed by Brother Bonnet and accepted by Brother Russell as the most fitting emblem for an enduring monument on the Society's burial space. The size of this structure is 9 feet across the base and its apex stone is exactly seven feet above the ground surface level. Watchtower belief in pyramidology continued under the leadership of Rutherford as late as 1925. The Watchtower 1922 June 15 edition says, In the messages of the Great Pyramid of Giza, the agreement of one or two measurements with the present-day truth chronology might seem accidental, but the correspondency of dozens of measurements proves that the same God designed both pyramid and plan. This teaching was absolutely torn apart and discarded by Rutherford in the Watchtower 1928, November 15, over a five-page series. On page 344 he stated, Then Satan put his knowledge in dead stone, which may be called Satan's Bible, and not God's stone witness. In erecting the pyramid, of course, Satan would put in it some truth, because that is his method of practicing fraud and deceit. Was Rutherford implying that Russell, the religion's founder, was guided by Satan to promote this teaching? It is astounding that after using pyramids to prop up the 1914 teaching for so many decades, that such a dramatic change would occur. Since that time, Watchtower contains a discernible lack of mention of its historical stance on pyramidology. When the 2012 Watchtower, August 15, page 31, displays an image of the chart of the ages from the divine plan of the ages, it conveniently obscures the pyramid behind an overlay of Benjamin Barton. Pyramidology was not a mainstream teaching of Christendom that Bible students had inadvertently inherited, such as Watchtower claims regarding other early practices such as Christmas. It was an Adventist teaching that Russell introduced. Neither did Jesus cleanse Watchtower this teaching when he came to his spiritual temple in 1919, as Rutherford continued to promote it till the late 1920s. Though Rutherford claims it was from Satan's Bible, he himself had written about it, and Russell had introduced it under the guise of being directed by Holy Spirit as God's chosen mouthpiece. Cross and Crown Watchtower used the cross and crown for over half a century, until 1931. Bible students wore cross and crown pendants, and the image adorned the cover of the Watchtower magazine. 
an image of Charles Russell, shows him seated below the cross and crown, mounted in his study. Proclaimer's book on page 200 says, For years, Bible students wore a cross and crown as a badge of identification, and this symbol was on the front cover of the Watchtower from 1891 to 1931. But in 1928, it was emphasised that not a decorative symbol, but one's activity as a witness showed he was a Christian. In 1936, it was pointed out that the evidence indicates that Christ died on a stake, not a two-beamed cross. Whilst Proclaimers mentions that the Bible students wore a cross and crown, this brief reference fails to explain what this symbol represented and why they used the cross and crown. Cross and crown is a symbol synonymous with Christian sects and secret societies such as the Illuminati and Christian scientists and also appears on some Catholic churches. The cross and crown is also referred to as the Knights Templar as it is used to identify the Freemasonry group, the Knights Templar, in honour of the 12th century knights that are said to have devoted their lives to the Crusades, protecting pilgrims to Jerusalem and guarding the Holy Grail. The crown symbolises the heavenly reward and the cross is for the trials of life endured as a Christian. A wreath surrounds the cross and crown that appeared on the watchtower cover. The wreath symbol also is used in the United Nations and Star Trek logos, both heavily influenced by Freemasons. In 1933, the cross and crown was identified as an idol, and in 1935, the cross started to be described as pagan. Preparation in 1933 said, All idols of character development and foolish hobbies, such as the Pyramid of Egypt, chronology, tabernacle in the wilderness, cross and crown pins, and all like things, must be cut off and put away. The cross and crown were used for over 50 years and appear on each side of the pyramid monument that adorns Russell's grave. If Watchtower is Jehovah's organisation and directed by his Holy Spirit, why would Jehovah allow Watchtower for decades to promote what it now claims is pagan symbology? The Winged Sun Disc The Winged Sun Disc is an Egyptian religious symbol used by Freemasons and occult groups that appeared on the cover of Studies in the Scriptures, a Masonic reference work, The Signs and Symbols of Primordial Man, describes the winged sun disk in this way. Horus commanded Thoth that the winged sun disk, with your eye, should be brought into every sanctuary within he dwelt, and into every sanctuary of all the gods of the lands of the south and the north, and in Amatet, in order that they might drive away evil from therein. This is what is meant by the winged sun disks with the Uri, which are seen over the entrances of the courts of the temples of all the gods and goddesses of Egypt. The Rosicrucian Order, AMORC, for Ancient and Mystical Order Rose Crucius, is an occult organization that uses the winged sun disk as their logo. A Rosicrucian reference work, the Rosicrucians and their teachings, says this about the winged sun disk or globe. The winged globe is preeminently a Rosicrucian symbol, although the Illuminati may lay claim to it, and it may be admitted that it is of Egyptian origin. The winged globe is the symbol of the perfected soul, making its flight back to the source of its creation in the Elysian fields beyond. 
This is not a common symbol of Christianity that Russell inadvertently borrowed. This was an unchristian symbol solely of pagan origins. In more modern times, Watchtower has described this symbol as pagan, carefully avoiding mention that this symbol was used by Watchtower itself. All-Seeing Eye Crowning Russell's pyramid is the All-Seeing Eye, a symbol used by Freemasons, Mormons, in occult worship, Buddhism, and appears on the American dollar bill. Other names for this are Eye of Horus, or Uchat Eye, as it is associated with both the Egyptian god Horus, god of war, and his father, Osiris, who along with Isis comprise the Egyptian triad. Called the Malochi, Evil Eye, this object is regarded by Satanists as the symbol of Lucifer. It is known to have been Satanist Alistair Crowley's favourite symbol. To understand why Russell had an interest in the all-seeing eye, we can look to the meaning bestowed upon it by Freemasons. The MasonicDictionary.com says, The all-seeing eye may then be considered as a symbol of God manifested in his omnipresence, his guardian and preserving character to which Solomon alludes in the book of Proverbs. When he says, the eyes of Jehovah are in every place, beholding, or as it might be more faithfully translated, watching the evil and the good. The reason Freemasons use this symbol invokes biblical connotations, yet has pagan origins. So as we've gone through this series of podcast episodes, and you remember the Mystery Babylon, Bill Cooper, or William Cooper uh, episodes, you probably remember a lot of the things that have been mentioned here. It sounds familiar. Freemasonry, pyramids, all-seeing eye, the Illuminati, etc. And it's just kind of interesting to me how once again, just like in Mormonism and Gnosticism and Kabbalah, how it has its roots in the mystery religions. And so I think this is uh, another aspect that most apologetics people don't get into that you're getting on this podcast. And just like um, that audio that you just listened to um, also made the connection. And I will leave a link as well for this, the, video, the full video, because I only played a part of it, uh, or the audio of it. And, um, and I recommend looking up JW Facts. It's a good YouTube channel. All right, thank you all, and have a wonderful day. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hedrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Pride goeth before destruction. 